Um, Will this work? I'm trying to put it, it down did farther. Did it stay? Well, I put it down oh, farther. Oh, 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 I thought we weren't going to have sound. And now our young men have proven smarter than our old men. Hello, um, is They can't hear us. Though. Well, actually, they can hear us with really bad sound. Let's fix that. Let's do it like that. And maybe now they can hear us with good sound. So, boy, you got Hello, it. I talked over you. Do it again. Hello, Internet. There we go. They should have heard you. You can go like... Clip, download it, clip it, and then like meme it, and it's all yours, right? Totally cool. All right. So, thank you, those of you who remembered, because our announcements weren't as good as they could have been to remind you we were starting up again. Um, and thank you, those of you who are here at all to begin with. Uh, I kind of thought, I don't know how to say this, um, I was excited in the fall because I think we have the opportunity as a congregation to be special is the wrong word. All the church of God is special in God's sight. Um, but I think we have the ability to make a mark um, in Rockford. And I believe that this evening event is the, the footprints of how that's going to happen over time. It's going to be very slow. Um, but I'm putting a lot, of, a lot of stock in this. Um, now, maybe for some of you, this is just going to be confirmation and you're out. Um, and, you know, I, I can't stop that, but I want to convince you that that's not the best thing you can do for you and yours. Um, but that'll kind of come. Uh, for the rest of you, uh, the idea that you would buy into spending more time learning what God believes, basically, than you already do in your life, that you would give yourself over to what, for lack of a better word, is discipleship, although that word is really tinged with a lot of what I would call dangerous language in the evangelical world, um, but giving yourself over to a study of the word that's going to take you beyond just, I sit in the pew, I'm a Lutheran, my parents were German, yada, yada. Um, that's really a valuable thing for a congregation to begin with. But it's also the place where if people are ever going to join a congregation, it's going to be because the people there believe what's going on there. right? And so I think this is the place where we can catalyze what's already here and build upon that. Um, now, tonight is just like groundwork. We're just trying to start a process. Yes, will this lead to confirmation for some of you in a couple of months? Absolutely. Although we're going to put a lot of weight on the interviews that we're going to have. I shouldn't call them interviews. You're probably nervous about those. Don't be. We're going to hang out. We might even play games. We'll see. Don't tell your parents. We might just goof off the whole time. Um, we're going to hang out. I'm going to get to know you a little bit. I'm going to learn what you believe. That's the main thing. Um, but uh, beyond just that, and I hope that's not all this is for you, uh, we're going to be developing a relationship as pastor to you, right, people, um, which should involve trust, uh, which should involve learning to speak and be confident in what you believe. Um, and then for this group as well, as a congregation, to have being unafraid to say what we believe be part of our identity. Um, so tonight, again, is groundwork for that kind of thinking about us as a people, um, more than just, okay, we got five more bullet points to cover before confirmation better get it done, chop, chop. Uh, so I don't know 
how far we'll go tonight, but what I do want to make sure there is space for in this room is for you to question, for you to disagree, for you to ask. Uh, somebody was sharing with me uh, just the other day how much fun it is in the confirmation class when you peoples, you littler, shorter peoples by littler, um, when you'll just decide to ask a question at some point, and your question can sometimes be a little over here or over there, right? But then everybody else at the table suddenly goes, <gasps> and they, and they kind of tune in for the question because it is the curiosity of you as an individual and the curiosity of you as a group that fosters a belief that this stuff matters, right? that, that it really means something more than just, um, sorry, Mrs. Temple, math. Huh? I know. I know. I can make fun of geography, I know. And then I, it was even worse for him because on Sunday at the late service, I mentioned how I had to apologize to you at first service, and, but now I didn't have to apologize and he was sitting right there. <laughs> uh, so that was awful. Anyhow, so, so tonight is groundwork for that conversation and trying to establish at least a feel for what we want to do. Because uh, there's, I mean, and, and you've, if you've been in church, you've heard me say this the last couple of weeks, I think, that... The, the phrase Bible study just kind of scares people. And I think there's maybe some good reason for this is because you think you have to like get all your ducks in a row and make it all make sense. And, and there's some of that, certainly. But there, there's more to it than just that. Um, this picture, it's not the one I wanted to use. The one I wanted to use, the guy had a big copyright claim on it, so I was afraid of using it. Um, but what I love about this, this is actually like a, like a wizard out in the woods somewhere in some fantasy book, right? But he's found a book, and he's reaching for the book, and the book's open, and out of this book, you know, light and power is coming. Now, that's never going to happen with your Bible when you open your Bible. If it shines, put it down. You, you, you probably don't want to deal with that Bible. Something else is going on there. Uh, but, but, that is what's happening with your Bible all the time. It's just not for your eyes. It's not for your eyes. Uh, the, the knowledge and wisdom and truth, the law which is the virtue, the direction to go, and the grace, uh, the, the, the freedom to trust that God is for you and not against you, all of that is in the eyewitness testimony to Jesus' resurrection, which is recounted in the Holy Scriptures. And what we want as a people is to know that. Not so we can take a test to get into heaven or to stop going to class on Wednesday nights, but so that we know it. Huh? Now, knowing God, we'll come back to this a, a lot, I think. W what does it mean to know God? Um, but again, I, I mentioned I want to give some, some groundwork bullet points. Is that too small? Probably is. Can I make it bigger? There we go. Um, because, you know, I've already said it now, I think we have some opportunities as a congregation, but we have to we have to channel our efforts. We have to focus our efforts a little bit. And so I want to hit not just two birds with one stone. I want to hit three. So we're, we're still in the world of, of confirmation for the youngsters, which really you should translate in your head as first communion, preparation to commune, preparation to feast upon the body and blood of Jesus. Um, but then for you parents, I mean, the reason I think the elders uh, approved of this is because they see the value in 
the leading adults of the congregation, which is any adult who comes regularly, uh, to be developing. Now, I, I really tried to figure out what could I put here. Could it be spiritual growth? Well, that could be squishy. Uh, could it be faith? Well, everybody says that. Oprah says grow your faith. You know, so, so, so what do we mean? I don't know if this is any better, but you know, to imagine having a courageous faith. I'm not talking about a faith that never doubts. I'm not talking about a faith that never struggles. I'm not talking about a faith that, that is not unable to call your sin what it is, which means it's actually sin. I'm talking about a faith that's not afraid to be itself, to be a Christian. You don't have to hide your Christianity. You know, I actually did it today. Um, I was eating my can of sardines, which is my regular travel lunch. It's very easy to move around. So, can of sardines. And I was at a cigar shop, sorry. And um, the only other guy in the shop, I knew he was a Jew because he had the devotional hat, yarmulke, I believe, on his head. And he had been listening to things on his phone that were in Hebrew. So he's a very devout Jew to be listening to things in Hebrew, like, like video, right, on his phone. And so I get out my little fish, and what should I do? I, you don't maybe know this about me, but I generally will genuflect. I, I'll make the sign of the cross before I'll eat food, or I try to. Um, certainly, with my can of sardines, I usually do. But I didn't today, because I was not courageous. I was afraid of offending him. I don't know. Uh, being a Christian, what's he going to do to me? Nothing. I, mean, I wasn't afraid of like getting hurt. But something stopped me. Well, I stopped me. Why? Fear? Why am I afraid? I don't know. But I do know this. I know it's harder to be courageous by yourself. I do know that. And it's not about that I was alone in the, in the place. It's that I think we as Christians have been made to feel alone in civilization. And to some extent, as congregations, we have failed to be a place that buttresses that so that we don't come away feeling stronger and not alone the rest of the week. Uh, um, so that's what I want you as parents to develop. Because, uh, that's what I want the Word of God to give you, because it does. Um, however much you might learn about who Zerubbabel is, that's not going to matter to your kid's faith as much as that you don't want to lose your own faith and you want to have your own faith. That will matter more in the long run. Now, can you be a heretic and that work in the opposite direction? Yes. Uh, but I'm talking about the fourth commandment, not how we need to tell them that they better honor you, but how they're going to by imitating you. And they'll imitate you in one of two ways. They will try to be just like you, and they'll try to be just not like you. They'll do both those things, sometimes at the same time, um, sometimes without knowing it, sometimes knowing it full well. But in that then, knowing that God built us this way in such a way that we can't stop it, you can also embrace it so that it works for you. So that, again, the most important thing in the entire two years of confirmation class, wherever you like to sit, um, that you've been in or will be in, or this class, 
is them seeing you here focused and hungry. Which is why, if you get confirmed and then stop coming, see, that, that sends a message, doesn't it? That it was important for a while, but not really now, because it's not really important for you. You were only taking them so they could get through it. And that message says more than anything else I say. It's not that the word of God about Jesus, he has risen, can't implant faith in their heart and work past that. It can. But when you, when you test it, right? you say, well, I'm going to see if that word not working on me doesn't matter for it working on my kids. Uh, when you test God, uh, God's under no obligation to um, forgive you again. Now, the good news is that he wants to. Better. The good news is that he will, and will and will. But see, now we're getting into doctrine. That's the gospel, and every time I'm going to tell you about it, I just have to promise you it's true. God will not leave you or forsake you. So there is that promise, and you can go off into the world, never hear it again, and be saved. But there's also the warning that the law gives, which is going a different direction, I suppose, um, which says don't go off into the world and never hear it again. That would be to break the first commandment, second commandment, third commandment. You need to hear it again. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So when the fourth commandment is breaking the third commandment to continue in the word of God, which really isn't about just Sunday morning, it's about every day our lives being made holy, set apart by God's existence and our knowledge of him through him speaking to us. When we deny that, when we rip that away, when we cast it aside, well, again, our kids see that, and that matters. Can the pastor preaching save them anyway? Yes, but he may not. Can you do it all right and they still fall away? Yes, but that's not the promise. The promise is, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll be with you. And so what, what I want to, I want to give you the courage to, to try to do that, to want to do that. And then finally, in this picture, we have another space for curiosity. And I don't know if I should tell this story, but I think I'm going to. Um, we had a good, busy Sunday. I think it was the Sunday before Christmas. Late service was, was as full as it's been since we lost a few members who didn't want to come up north. And as a result of this, uh, there really wasn't a lot of places to sit. And you maybe don't know how this is, maybe you do. People like to sit on either end of the pew and leave like six spaces in the middle, but no one wants to cross over into the middle. Uh, and then when they do, they'll still like, we like try to leave as little actual combined space as possible. So even if you cross in the middle and there's two people on the outside, you sit in the dead middle, so there's two single seats, right? So if a couple comes in, they got nowhere to go. Well, they could ask you to move, right? But this is kind of the point. So then if somebody comes in who is not a regular or not focused or not committed, like, like not, not committed, but like, like I'm going to be there no matter what committed, and they see that, what do you think they're going to do? And so we're, we were full in that kind of a way. And uh, there, are, there are other ways we could get better at this other than just me talking about it. But... Um, Two people walked in, and one of them had come before, and one was fairly regular. They were together. Um, 
but the one who had come before was, is not a member and is, is not fully here. And I watched as one had to sit way in the back on an edge alone, and the other had to come way up front on an edge alone. I don't know, were you there? You might remember. And I said, well, I think stop the, like, the service. I said, wait a minute here. Let's make space for these two people. Now, I thought that was great, actually. I loved the moment. I enjoyed that moment. What hurt me was later, uh, when it was shared with me by someone I trust, um, that they heard someone else in the congregation say, this place is a disaster, right at that moment. And I don't know what it was about. Maybe they were just talking about their tissue fell on the ground. Maybe that's all it was. I don't know. But the terror in me is, do they not want people to be here? Because if we want people to be here, we have to want them to be here, which means we have to think about them and not just us. If people come into this building who aren't already here, how do we receive them and help them come closer? And I would wager that for all the talk about mission that's gone on in our church body for 25 years, actually preparing for the curious is not something we've been really good at. I hope this evening becomes that kind of place where rather than say, hey, come to church with me to somebody who you think needs to check out what we got, you say, hey, come to Wednesday night with me or knowing God with me or I'm not sure how we would craft it just yet. We've got to figure that out. But that they would come here and they'd maybe be exposed for a moment to our liturgy in there, but not the whole Shadil bang where, like, I mean, think about it. In the, in the divine service, the first time you're going to hear something that isn't completely weird is when the Bible gets read, right? And that's 15 minutes in, maybe 16, 17. And then you got to wait another 10 minutes, and then you get some preaching. And then you're stuck. And if you're, if you're not a Lutheran, you're really stuck because you don't even get to stand up, right, for the supper. Now, can the Word of God work through that? Absolutely. But is it like the best place to invite someone to experience it? Probably not. Why not? But this could be, especially if we're all curious ourselves, right? If we're curious about the truth and growing in the courage of the faith with our kids, well, then others are going to catch that too, I think. And we'll want to we'll ask them. We'll want to invite them. I mean, there's a reason we don't want to invite people to Sunday morning. Close communion. Duh. Like, we don't want to talk about it. And I understand. It's hard. I don't want to talk about it either. I don't like that announcement. It embarrasses me. Should it? Probably not. But it does. Because I know. <laughs> I know I'm offending people, no matter what. There's no way around it. I've been uh, told to my face enough, right? Well, at our church, we just love Jesus. Oh, thanks. That feels great. I must not, I guess, huh? Is that the implication? Um, so, so, you know, I get it. Uh, I don't want to get rid of closed communion, and I don't want to stop making the announcement. But I do want to give every opportunity for someone to know God if they don't know God yet. And that means, well, hearing the words in a place that they can hear the words. Now, I told you I was laying groundwork. I'm laying more and more, I suppose. These three words here are the same thing. Children are the future. Ha ha, Whitney Houston. And we know it. I learned that in sign language 
at a Lutheran school as the going away present for the retiring principal. How's it going? So, yeah, let's see if I can remember it. I remember I believe. I remember the children are the future. It's probably not even right. The children are the future. Teach them well. Let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess and something like this inside. And then it gets really bad. Give them a sense of pride, right? Eh, how is that what we're about? Anyhow, it doesn't matter. It's true that they're the future. They're the future. But what are they in the future and what are you? I've told some of you this. Um, it's probably been about three months now that I've started praying, ah, maybe, maybe five months now. I've been praying very specifically for a couple of things from, from the Lord. I try to do it every morning. It's brief. I don't, I'm not particularly pious in this. I don't sit there for hours and plead with God. I have my, my little phrase that I'll say, Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Please help me. I, I, with with the, uh, the set-apart commitments, I am listening to my psalm every day on my app. So I'm two birds, one stone. I got the app. I'm listening. Got a psalm every day. Kaboom. Uh, it's been great. Really enjoying that. So it's after that. But I pray for, I ask for, for St. Paul. <laughs> Tattoos, babies, soldiers, a bard, and paladins. What's he talking about? Tattoos. We all live in Rockford. We all live in Rockford. But we're not really Rockford. Hate to break it to you. We're not. Um, Rockford's downtown on a Friday night in the summer, drunk, buying all sorts of farm-to-table stuff. And you go down there, and anybody under 50, they got tattoos showing. That's Rockford. I want those people. Tattoos. Babies. I want those people and their babies. And I want those of you who can have babies to have babies. Because children are the future. So I want people to come here. I want them to be married here. I want them to have families here. I want them to be invested as soldiers. So that's number three. I ask for soldiers, right? Soldiers, bard, paladin. Soldiers, I want every single Christian here to think of yourself not as a mercenary, but as a member in an army. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be the Salvation Army and I'm your general exactly, but I think we should be more committed than mercenaries. You know what mercenaries are? Mercenaries get paid to fight. Right? The most famous, <laughs> most famous mercenaries in American history were captured by George Washington on Christmas Eve. You guys know that story, right? He crossed the Delaware River on Christmas Eve, breaking the rules of warfare to take the British by surprise, but it wasn't the British. It was the mercenaries they'd paid to be there fighting during Christmas so they could go home for Christmas or go off for Christmas. And guess who these mercenaries were? A bunch of German Lutherans. Huh? So either they were drunk or they were singing Silent Night with Candles. You, you pick. Um, and they were taken by surprise by George Washington. But the point in the story, mercenary, they were there getting paid to fight a war they didn't care about. They were just there for the money. Christians act like this when it comes to our congregational life. We act like individuals who are there for what we can get out of it. And what I want us to do is be a committed crew with them. Ah, a mission? Should we set up an outpost, Mike? No? Did I hurt? Did it hurt? Yeah. Um, committed to each other, right? Well, what happens to, to men who 
are in a group in war together, what happens to them when they bleed together? They bond, right? They bond. They're changed, too. And sometimes that can be not in a great way, like as in if they come with scars and pain. But it can also be in a way that is great. Loyalty. Virtue. Soldiers are what we should be as Christians. Soldiers of grace, right? But also soldiers who love the law. Soldiers, a bard. A bard would be someone who leads in song. We've got some marvelous organists. But we don't really have a music leader here at church. So I continue to pray for someone to descend from the heavens, right? Halo and all. And, uh, and lead us in song. And then paladins. Uh, paladin is a, a fantasy character um, or style of character. If you've played Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you know paladin is a... Well, actually, let me ask you, Joe, as you're nodding. Uh, what, what is a paladin? How would you define a paladin? Oh, Peter, you, oh, you look so much like Joe. Peter, what's the paladin? And to be fair, Kelly was right there. And so all I saw was you. So, um, it's a healer. What they're like? Okay, that's good. Can we? Well, that's more like the druid, right? Yeah, but you're right. They're a healer. How does the paladin heal? Is it magic? Yes. Mm, sure. It's prayers. Yeah. So it's weird. It's it's a fantasy world. It's not real. It's false gods. But the way that they enact in the game, like they'll have a sorcerer is using magic. And the Druid is using nature. The paladin has a god who he is devoted to, and he prays for the answer of that god, and that god really answers. And so he actually is a warrior on behalf of that god. And he goes out and, in plate, mail, and armor, defends the cause of all that is good and right and true. So a lot of people don't like playing paladins because you have to be good. <laughs> and they want to play like in the middle somewhere. Well, so for me, that image, I don't want to actually have some sort of magical relationship with God. I don't believe that's possible. Um, but what I do want is among our soldiers to have rise up among us men who have a set-apart relationship with God whereby they become his particular warriors. That is, they get ordained into the office of the Holy Ministry to preach. So along with every Christian here being a soldier, I want some of them to be preachers too. I pray for that. I pray for that. Because I think we can, we can rock furred the world um, with this. So, for me, that's why I'm here tonight. I mean, I'm here because I have to teach confirmation. Huh? But I want to do more than just pat kids on the head, give them communion once, and say goodbye. Um, and I've done it long enough. I've done it long enough. Twelve years is plenty of that. Uh, so I'm thankful that you're at least here for me to just at least talk to you about it. Yes, Peter. Interesting. How did you know? It's not quite there. We got one more picture to go. We won't even spend much time on this just so we can follow your thought, but I'm going to have you read it. Some Proverbs. We're going to try to get some Proverbs every week. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. God wants you to understand. How did you know I was going to talk about Muslims? Why did you, what was your, say me your question again and then tell me what you wanted me to say in response. You're like, what were you thinking? Don't know. You've been reading a lot about Muhammad. Why? For school. 
for school, what did you learn? The angel showed up to him? Yeah, mm -hmm. Gabriel. I think it was Raphael, I think. But maybe you're right. I could be wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a Muslim scholar. And then what happened? Allah, yeah, Allah. A lot of people were converted. Now, again, I'm no scholar when it comes to Islam. There's, uh, there's a lot of information out there. Uh, and I don't want to go too far into the weeds on that. Too quick here. Can you hang tight for half a sec? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you, though. Um, but I do want to call the question right away. Look at this. We've got a guy who says, God told me stuff. Follow me. Does that sound familiar? We just did it twice in the last three weeks, didn't we? So what's the difference? And we'll come back to that, but go ahead, Marley. Sharia. Sharia law. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things that seem kind of sexist is very. Well, a lot of like, um, the things in the law just seem very like. It is not a religion that at heart considers women equal to men. Now, Christianity recognizes a distinction in our roles, but an equality of value. We have the same value. Uh, to my understanding, Islam does not see it that way. Women are the property of men. Um, it's fascinating how little play those kinds of things get in the media today. Um, and that's its own topic that I think we can follow at some point because learning to discern truth in an age of fake news, no matter, no matter who you like, there's fake news somewhere, right? So um, learning to discern in such a way so as to live a life of virtue under grace, that's an important tool. Um, while we're on the narrows, recognize there are two major branches of Islam, Sunni and Shiite. <clears throat> I think I'm spelling Shiite right. Is there an H in there? No. Yeah. They do not like each other. They kill each other. That's how much they don't like each other. And I'm not going to try to remember which one's the slightly more peaceful liberal one because I can't remember. Um, is it Sunni? Someone said it? Yeah. That's what I thought, but I didn't want to guess. So Sunni's got a little more peacefulness to it. Shiites a little more intense about it. Um, but they all do this. This is at dawn. Every day. Just think about that. Because you get here by dawn every day. I don't think I could. I want to. Like, I want to think I could. 
I want to think we could. I, we couldn't do it. Every day. Five times a day they pray. If they're not able to get to a public place for prayer, they will have a mat and pray on their own. I remember a professor, an Indian professor I had of Shakespeare <laughs> at my university in California. Um, I see you. I'll get to you. Um, uh, he was a Muslim. And in his office, he had a teapot and his little desk and a little rug. And uh, so, so he loved England somehow. Um, that's the tea. Uh, and then uh, he'd pray whenever the, the times of prayer would come. He'd get down on his hands and knees. They're, they're waiting. It hasn't really started yet. They're all going to be on their hands and knees, bowing up and down, going through the liturgy. I, I don't know what your emotions are as you look at that, but I'm jealous. I'm jealous. They believe it, right? I think we believe it too. I don't think we don't believe it, but we don't believe it like that. Now, granted, they have like this pressure on them, which is if you don't do it, you're in a lot more trouble, right? It's all, it's all law-driven. Um, although, technically, you don't have to go to this one, but then you got this little quote from Muhammad here. Um, no salat, I think... I don't know if that's good work or, or something like that, uh, is more burdensome to the hypocrites than the, the dawn prayer and the night prayer. And if they knew their merits, they would come to them even if they had to crawl to do so. What he's pointing out is that, you know, the, the one who doesn't really believe in Islam doesn't want to go to the prayer, but if he knew how good it was for him, if he really believed it, he would want to go. Um, now, I want us to feel bad about that a little bit, and just let it be. I, we don't have to, we're not Muslims. Have Christians had daily prayer in the history of the church? Yeah, they have. Um, has it happened in American churches? No, not really. Protestants kind of dropped that one. Although a lot of Roman Catholics will show up every day before they go to work. Um, that's interesting. They have to, like technically. Um, we don't. But what I think is maybe even more spot on for us just to start with is that this word that's so scary, right? Theology. Um, that's what this is. It's, it's knowing God. And all of these people are convinced that they know God. And that this is how they know God. And so they're there to keep knowing God. And they want you there too. They want you there too so you can know God because they don't think you do. Theology, we've talked about this before, but it's so important, right? God, knowledge, knowing God. And I don't know if I shared this with you or not. Oh, I just missed it. Um, who wants to do the honors on this thing? I don't know if I have my knife. Do you get your knife? Mine's in the other room. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard a pastor say this, but I have. More than once. Usually it's only among pastors that I've heard it. But there'll be a discussion about the Bible. There'll be a discussion about truth. Thank you. And maybe even an argument. Because pastors argue. And someone will eventually pipe up and say something like, Well, I'm no theologian. But I think dot dot dot. And what they're trying to do with that is to silence the argument, right? Like all you arguing about theology, that's the bad thing. 
But I have a better idea that if you just kind of could be a little less proud, you could, you could know it. Now, I think they're really foolhardy to say that, and yet I also think there's something to what they're saying. Because at what point does our arguing about terminology get in the way of the truth and whether or not we actually know it? So there's something to that. But if you really think you're not a theologian, right? I mean, translate it. Well, I don't know God, but I think. <laughs> it's not very helpful. Huh? They think they know God. Theology is all around us. The knowledge of God is all around us. Or I should say the knowledge of the gods is all around us. And I got more on that in a moment, but... Were you the one waiting? Was there someone else? Yeah, go ahead, Peter. Uh, when you said that they prayed five times a day, I wanted to point out that when young sons are born, they start to play, pray once a day when they're seven, and by the time they're ten, they'll have to pray five times a day like the adults. Mm. And Yeah, it's called Ramadan. It's a month of fasting. It sometimes overlaps with Christmas, but it's on a lunar calendar, so it moves around, kind of like uh, Passover, Easter does. Um, you made me think of something when you said, Peter, that you know, as a child they have to pray once a day and then eventually gets up to five. I want to ask the question, I'm really curious how you take this as a group. How, how many times a day are you as a Lutheran supposed to pray? Three? Yeah, what three? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if there's necessarily a wrong answer. I mean, I have my answer of why I think, but so you're not going to be wrong. So... Okay, so evening so, prayer. So there's one. Prayer, you pray, and you pray before each of your meals. That's four. And you think of one more, and there's a morning prayer in the catechism too. That'd be five. Look at that, five times a day. Funny thing. Um, now it's, I mean, it's not quite the show, right? Uh, and I'll, I'll have to admit, see, I think my mother taught me to pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep when I was little. But cable TV entered the house, and I don't remember that prayer after that moment. And that might not be her fault. That might have been my fault. I don't know. I remember cable TV putting me to sleep. Um, we always prayed, come Lord Jesus, at dinner. We always prayed, come Lord Jesus, at dinner. Um, don't remember a morning prayer. I did not know there was a Dr. Luther's morning and evening prayer until I got to seminary. First time I experienced those which is kind of amazing given this in the catechism, right? And the catechism as a whole piece of Luther's explanation is not the end-all be-all of the world. It's just a beautiful document. Um, but it's pretty amazing that someone who is a Lutheran, lifelong, more or less, also going to seminary, has not ever read the whole thing when it's only like 30 pages long, right? Where's the commitment? And I was a pretty zealous, committed guy to go to seminary. I'm giving up my life, right? And yet, somehow my knowledge of God was, was not there. But five times a day. We could talk about um, 
It's interesting. Come Lord Jesus, this is a very LCMS thing. I don't know if you know this. Um, a lot of other, most of the Christians, I think, don't know it. Never heard it before. Um, and then, I don't know where now I lay me down to sleep came from. How many of you learned that? As a, okay. Was it? You were ho- it was a cross stitch. I, I, don't, I don't know where that came from either because neither of these are classically Lutheran in any way. They're German in some way. Not, and we don't, I don't want to go in the weeds on it, but neither of them are particularly good. They're not particularly bad either. They're kind of vanilla. They're really vanilla prayers. There is a... See, actually, if you, follow, if you follow Luther's recommendations, you would not pray five times a day. You would pray eight times a day. Morning, before breakfast, after breakfast. Before lunch, after lunch. Before dinner, after dinner. Evening, eight times a day. And the prayers before and after the meals are not any longer than come Lord Jesus. And what makes them really cool is they're more or less a psalm, part of a psalm. It's a scripture. It's just bringing the scripture to the food. You can ask my kids how good we are at after-evening prayer, after-meal prayers. Um, where are they? I don't know. Have we tried it? Have we succeeded at keeping it? No, no, we have not. Um, although it's pretty cool. I mean, how often do you get to, to get to say the phrase "and the young ravens which cry"? You don't get to say that much in life, right? And that's part of the prayer. I, I love it. It's beautiful, but we don't do it. Anyhow, I, I, what's my point? I want to know God. That's my point. I want us to know God. That's my point. And it's not like five times is so much. It's not like it's part of our history. And it's not like I want to beat you over the head and say, well, you better go home and start praying the prayers in the catechism. Well, we're not Lutherans and no one will join our church. Right? That's not what I'm saying either. I'm not saying that at all. I want us to be hungry together. Um, with the hunger that Peter has for sharing the knowledge about what he learned, not my favorite religion, but... <laughs> Um, now, adults, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, I mean, you can just say, keep going, Pastor, but this has got to be a little bit out of left field, just a touch, right? Nothing? Cold as ice? Oh, come on! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. She's done more damage to this country uh, than many, many other people in terms of truth. Um, but first, I want to start here. So the, the structure for this class every week is going to be Proverbs, some, some wisdom, just stray from the Bible. Uh, combined with and coming out of that, knowing God in general. Theology. But trying to reframe that so it's not about, a, again, a bullet points, but about our experience as Christians in this world. So, knowing God into the wisdom God reveals. And then I want to tie us to the lonely path of Augsburg. Now, we did this already once, young people. The start of the year, that whole front leading up to Christmas, we got all the way through the primary articles of a document called <laughs> it, it kind of it rhymes, the Augsburg Confederation. 
the Augsburg Confession. Yeah, Articles of Confederation. That's good, Emma. We love you. Um, the Augsburg Confession. You remember the story about the guys who had to go deal with the Pope and the Emperor and they were going to get killed? They kneeled, kneeled down and said, no, 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 we'll, we'll submit to you. You can kill us if you want, but we just want to hold our faith. Remember that? Yeah. So we went through it because I believe firmly that understanding what they said, and it's not a lot of stuff, but the, the points that they said, if you understand what they said, you understand everything the Bible has to teach you in such a succinct, what is that? It's like a, not the most helpful word, in such a smooth way that you can talk to anyone at any time about the entire faith in just a few seconds. But then what I realized as we were looking at it verbatim, like word by word with the, the younger people, because I think they can handle it, but the way I was teaching it, the place I was teaching it, they couldn't. They didn't like it. It was pretty evident to me. It was just like, let's do history now, Pastor. Okay, fine. Here we go. Right? Um, what do I got to know to get confirmed? So I don't want to do that again. But I'm going to be trying to smuggle the Augsburg Confession into this class. Um, but I'm not going to tell you how until after I've done it. Um, we're going to start with Oprah Winfrey, who totally was one of the signers of the Augsburg Confession in 1530, 31, 30. Um, but she said this on her TV show in, in 1994, which is a good long time ago, given that it's 2020. Um, she said, I believe there are many paths to God. I certainly don't believe that there is only one way. There couldn't possibly be just one way to God. I am a Christian who believes that there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. It's... I think there probably are at least as many Christians in America who would say this as there are who would not. Um, if you saw the most recent <laughs> uh, Lutheran satire video, his Christmas videos are his best videos ever. Horace is, like, especially if you're, if you're a worshiper of Horace, to die for, right? Like, literally. Let the reader understand. Um, you know, he, this Egyptian god goes to a church to ruin Christmas for everybody by saying how it's really about him. And he goes to a liberal church. And they're like, yeah, of course it is. Oh, you're fine. You're welcome. And he, he keeps trying to find a Christian to destroy their faith. And they only have two in church. And then one of them dies because he's too old. So oh, now they have one left. And that's the end of the thing. It's, it's sad, actually, because it's true. There's a lot of churches out there that say, I'm a Christian. We're Christians. We're the church. We love Jesus. We love God. Oh, no, there's many paths to God. Um, and this idea that there's many paths to God is not, is not just Christianity's idea, or I shouldn't say that, liberal Christianity's idea. That is, um, is Hinduism and Eastern religion. And they've been teaching this for thousands of years. So every Christian who pipes up and says that, what they really are is someone from a Christian background who converted to Hinduism, but doesn't really want to admit they've apostatized from Christianity. Uh, the kind of person who puts the coexist bumper sticker on their car and doesn't realize how 
Well, what it means, we're going to talk about a little bit with this wonderful story of the elephant. But my son has a question. Yes, my son. He doesn't know. It's so wonderful. We have sheltered him so well. She's the most famous person in the United States. Yeah, yeah, right. No, no, not at all. Fascinating question and interesting triangulation. You don't need to. <laughs> Ask me later. Ask me later. Um, no, she 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 has been in some movies. She was in a movie called The Color Purple. I think she won an Oscar, didn't she, for her role, supporting actress? I think. Yeah. She's great. She's really good in it. Um, she did another movie, another good movie. Anyway. Um, she has a talk show on TV, or did, and became super, super, super famous. And now people just assume whatever she says is true, even though she changes her mind every like three years. Um, there's a, a parable, and it's been, this has got to be some children's fictionalized version of it. I've never seen this before today, but I know the story. It, it gets used in philosophy classes. So if you go to college and you get your philosophy 101 class, expect this story and this argument to show up. Um, it says that there certainly is some great powerful being that's bigger than all of us, or, or maybe a thing like the Force in Star Wars. It's bigger than all of us. And I'm not kidding. I mean, they really believe that. Um, but the problem is, because it's so much bigger than all of us, none of us can really see all of it ever. So it's kind of like six blind men, or seven or ten or whatever, in a room or in, a, in, a, in an area with an elephant. And they're all trying to say, an elephant's just like this. And one's got his hands on the toe, and one's got his hands on the knee, and one's got his hands on the trunk, and one's got his hands on the tusk, and one's got his hands on the, on the, the tongue, and one's got the ear, and one's got the tail, and one's got the side. And they're all saying, no, 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 you're wrong. An elephant's just like this. But don't you see? They're all right because they just only had a piece of the elephant. And that's how it is with God and all the religions of the world. They just all have a piece of who God is, a taste. They're all right. They just don't have the whole picture. And if we can just realize that and believe everyone's got a piece of the picture, we can learn better what the elephant's really like. It sounds so peaceful, doesn't it? Now, if you want to be like a snark and get an F in the class but have a lot of fun, just raise your hand and say, uh, uh, Professor, you know, Bob or whatever. Um, so what if the elephant talks and tells them what he's like? And just sit there. He, he won't even know what to do. If he figures out what you said within 15 seconds, he'll get really mad. Um, he may just be confused, at which point you really win, right? Um, although... If you want to pass the class, you might just want to write down the thing that he says to write down and then move on, or maybe not take the class. I don't know. Um, but did you follow what I just said? Okay? Because the game changes with your assumptions. And there's, there's so many pieces to what I just did there that are important. The first one is that whoever sets the rules for the conversation wins. So if I'm going to tell you about truth with a story, and I get to make up the story and set all the little rules on the story, and you have to stay inside my box that I made, you can't win. I'm not going to put a talking elephant in a room with blind men. I'm going to assume he doesn't talk so that my story wins. That's why I'm telling the story. 
But when you're dealing with Christianity, we're not the ones telling the story. And they're certainly not going to tell a story meant to destroy your faith with all the truth of Christianity inside of it. They're going to strip it all away because they don't believe it's true. If they believed God could actually talk, then they wouldn't tell a story about an elephant nobody could see. They would listen to God and say, God said this, God said that, we should believe it. Which, by the way, again, the third commandment is not just go to church or else you're a bad person. Although it kind of is that, I guess, at the, like, the lowest level. The third commandment is God talks. He really actually talks. It's been written down. And as a result of that, we know exactly what he's like so far as he wants us to. And if he wanted us to know more, he'd give us more. So Oprah is sitting down here saying, I'm a Christian who believes all paths lead to the elephant. And she can only say that when she has said, Jesus Christ is not the God who talks. He's just some other thing. Some man with some good ideas about an elephant. And that's it. Oh. We're almost out of time. I don't know why I put this guy in here, but I want you to know who he is. He's one of the most famous people in the world, along with Oprah. They might even be friends. His name's the Dalai Lama, or that's what he's called. Um, he is, according to his religion, which is Tibetan Buddhism, which is not all Buddhism. There are many strains. Some are more atheistic and some are more pagan. This would be a more pagan one. Um, by the way, he's a nice man, really nice guy. Like, he's not mean or anything, ever. Um, but he also believes, and those who follow him believe, he is the 14th reincarnation of the actual original Buddha, who himself is probably a supernatural being that has taken on flesh to help humanity. That sounds eerily like an echo of something, right? Um, incarnation, as it were. He's alive. He's in exile from Tibet, because Tibet is China. Tibet didn't think it was, but it is, and China says it is, and Tibet can't fight back, and no one's going to fight China. It's been that way for decades since he, he fled as a young man um, and escaped, and has spent his lifetime in exile trying to speak for Tibet to be free, but then also preaching Buddhism. He's had a major influence on the world. He's had a major influence on people believing that all paths lead to God at some point. And yet, strangely, no one wants to ask, but you think you're a supernatural being from another, like, another dimension, and you've just been hanging out body to body to body for 14 generations? That part never makes the news. But it sounds, it sounds a bit insane to me, doesn't it? I mean, it's certainly not any more sane than believing in the resurrection of Jesus, but nobody, you know, they don't question him. I don't know why. Here's our coexist thing. Right? So Islam, I think it's like hippie slash environmentalism, kind of maybe. Yes, it's a peace symbol. It's actually, it comes out of Hinduism, honestly. I know that. It does mean peace. Don't tattoo it on your body, please. Um, and then somehow the homosexual movement has become a religion. I'm not sure how, but they have a religious symbol now because everything else is a religion. 
Um, so they're in there, Judaism. That is not the symbol for Wicca or Wiccanism or Paganism, just that is, but it works, I suppose. The star inside of a circle, a pentagram. Um, some people call that the, the sign of the devil. I don't know how we would know that if that were true, but it certainly is a pagan sign. Um, the yin and yang, which is not an S, but a circle with a swirl and two dots in it, is a Buddhist symbol of balance. Uh, it is not entirely wrong when you think of it as a philosophical idea. For example, you can even go physics with it. Um, uh, Einstein and, and every action has an equal but opposite reaction. And the physical world does kind of work that way. But you start applying this to morality and virtue and eternal life, and that gets a little wiggier. And you got this T, right? The cross is there. Um, and whoever made this up was a genius in terms of like marketing. Uh, they really figured out how to trash Christianity because the funny thing is, like, it's this religion saying, you're all wrong. <laughs> You're all wrong, you're all right, just like us, but only in the way we're right. And these guys don't mind because they can use it to bash Christianity. Um, these guys are more like, just kind of, oh, whatever, it comes and goes. Um, these guys are happy because they can bash Christianity. Uh, I don't know how they feel, honestly. Uh, these guys don't care. They're still going to try to rule the world. Um, they don't have a desire to coexist, ultimately. Uh, I should say that while we were on Islam, the word you may have heard said is peace. It's, it's kind of half true. It's a really nice translation. Uh, the word is submit. When you submit to Islam, you will know peace. So they're not lying. They're just not telling you the whole truth. So this is not going to be accepted by them. The question is, why are so many Christians willing to accept it? We certainly don't have a need to convert anyone by the sword. That, that's not it at all. But again, if the elephant talks... Why wouldn't we listen? And if Jesus is the one who speaks for God, and he said, I mean, you, you've heard me say this enough times, right? He said, I'm God. We said, we're not sure. He said, I'll prove it. Kill me. I'll come back to life. We did it. He did it. He said, I'm alive. And by the way, that word is now my spirit and will bring people to me for salvation. It's all free. Go tell people. Right? Um, if that's true, if that's true, then none of that other stuff can be true. Not as a salvific form, right? Not as a religion. Um, last slide, I think. Ah, so pagan, right? When I was looking just for the coexist stuff, I found this one from some pagan on Pinterest. Did you know there are Pinterest pagan pages? Perhaps. Ah, good, he did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is fascinating, though, given the season that we're in, everything I've been saying the last week of light. It says, run not from the darkness. Shield not your eyes from the light. Embrace the darkness as well as the light. For does the light not cast shadows? It's really interesting. Does the light cast shadows? No, no, it does not cast shadows. Other things cast shadows in the light. Light does not cast shadows. Uh, and without the dark, how can we know light? That's that yin-yang thing a little bit. Okay. Uh, both are one and the same, separate yet joined. As left and right, as male and female, as up and down, are dark and light. Without one, the other can have no meaning. As they are but two phases of the same energy. Incomplete sentence. 
Um, oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, know that in darkness there is light. But catch that. I mean, it doesn't make sense on any level, honestly. Um, but it sounds so nice and poetic and friendly and pretty and spiritual. And in light there is darkness. Ah, the verse I should have pulled up is from John where he says, We have known him and in him there is no darkness at all. And God is light. But instead I put our verse that will come back year in and year out here at St. Paul. Uh, withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Ephesians 6.13, stand firm. Um, you can't see it on this picture. This is some warrior. Anybody tell what he's going to fight? At least kind of in general. You can't see his face. What's he fighting? Go ahead. A giant? Go ahead. What? You're actually right on that. So he is a giant, like Peter said. But what, what, what made you say that? What part made you say that? I don't want to give it away. What do you see, Andrew? So, I think it was in one of the videos that the watch for um, confirmation, and um, there was there were these other ones, and I decided to watch them, (laughs) and it was about how angels, so the demons spoke to them. Oh, this is and with the, the Bible project. And, um, yeah. They had children. Oh, no, no, this is not the Bible project. But yes, <laughs> this, is, this is the Genesis 5 idea about the Nephilim. We talked about this, didn't we? Yeah. Do you remember that that part's wrong? Mm. Mm. No. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say it to you. Just, uh, the angels and demons never came down and did that thing with the women. Okay? Never happened. Be a cool fiction story, but not, well. Could this be a made-up fiction? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so what I thought was interesting is that there's actually, oh, I've got to give you more. Okay, what do you see? Well, that's not what it is either, but that's kind of cool. So you got a big belly. And a thing, and some legs, so he's clearly a giant, right? But someone just said it there. There's two arms on this side, and he's holding a dagger, which is a religious symbol in Hinduism. And I cut it off, but you'd never guess what his face is. It's actually an elephant. Do you believe it? Which is also connected to religion in India. Um, But here is a guy, just one guy standing by himself against this massive, beastly, false god. And what's he going to do? Is he going to die? Maybe. What's he going to do? He's going to fight. That's what he's going to do. He's not going to roll over. That's what he's going to do. And that is my hope for us, my friends. Uh, We're going to die, one way or the other. I think we should have courage together to face it when it comes, but to not spend so much time trying to stop it from coming that we fail to remember those who only have that life uh, and fail to encourage each other to speak 
uh, speak the words of life to, to others. Now, all your parents want to go home, but you guys are asking questions. Go ahead, Emma. There you go. I thought Daniel and the Giant's Den sounds like another fun story, right? Uh, uh, David and Goliath. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, it, you're very right, though, Emma, because, I mean, Goliath was not that big. Uh, David didn't have whatever big stick sword thing this is. It's all oh, good call. Who said that? I want to give you a high five. Whoever said it? What, it was one. Okay, so it was Peter. I know, I did that on purpose. I did that on purpose, I swear. Um, Lance, that's a good point, it's Lance. He did not have that. He had a pebble and a sling. That's all he had. But no, that's not all he had. Because when he stands up against Goliath, he doesn't say, I come against you with a pebble and a sling. He says, you were first, so I'll give it to you. What did he say? Do you remember? Or are you asking the question? <laughs> Well, you're right, although, huh, dogma time, faith by itself is nothing. It needs something to believe. Oprah likes faith just fine. She doesn't like the thing we would say you need to believe. You got it? Well, he doesn't quite say that, although he kind of does, but not quite. You got it? So you're going to wait. You got it? Well, so close. But see, well, ah, she's right. <laughs> so she said baptism and circumcision. And actually, you're, you're like so close and absolutely right, but you were closer with baptism in one sense, but you're closer with circumcision in another. Because you didn't have baptism. It did not exist. It had not been instituted. Circumcision was the sign that you were in the covenant with the God who really is, first commandment, who has a name, second commandment, and that's what he says. Now, Goliath says, you come at me with sticks. He says, I come at you in the name of Yahweh, the Lord, you Philistine dog, and I will cut off your head. And he does it. He does it. Now, what's his faith in? Why would he do that? Well, because he knows that the circumcision mark he has is the promise that his people, that nation, could never lose to this people. They're supposed to take the land and live there. They could not lose. God would fight for them. And so he went and he stood on the actual promise he'd been given. Now, we don't have that same promise in the sense of we're not told we can go conquer anything. But the name of the Lord that he confessed is precisely what baptism is. I baptize you into the name. It's the whole power of the whole idea. It's the name of the Lord. And so we do stand firm, come in the name of the Lord. Um, our blessings are in the name of the Lord, right? What do I say at the end of the service? Yeah. Uh, um, may the Lord lift up his name upon you, countenance upon you, excuse me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Each one of those lords, Lord, 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 is the Yahweh of old, Yahweh, the one who is, the named God. Uh, what you got to hear is Jesus. Ah, we could keep going. Um, super quick, then we're going to go pray, because we're out of time. We're well over so time. Is the faith great? Ha! Well, 
David's faith was in the name of Yahweh. Which, how would we translate into English? Well, that's good if we want to get real literal, but it's, it's Jesus. And we can get even more literal just for, we've, I know I've done this with some of you, so bear with me to do it again for those who don't know it. Jesus is from the Greek, Iesus, which is the Greek, like, mispronunciation of the Hebrew that we would call Joshua, or they would say Yeshua. So when Jesus was given his name as a Hebrew man, it would have been Yeshua. All Hebrew names are built of words. They're not just sounds. They're built of words. And uh, Yasa means he saves. And the Ua on the end is the front end of this one, tacked on. Yah. Yahweh saves. So Jesus, every time you say Jesus, you're saying Yahweh and salvation at the same time. God just added the word salvation to his name so we couldn't forget it, although we've buried it pretty deeply in some etymology. Uh, uh, we don't hear it, but we, we, we can. You are free to hear Jesus as the name of Yahweh saving you and believe that's, what it, that's who he is. Write it down. Bring it next week. They got to go home. They got to go home. I would really... I encourage you to stick around to pray. Um, We'd probably be out of here by 735 if we all head over there right away. Um, Internet, thank you for tuning in.